This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. Hi, Rihanna. Hello. Now, if you don't know, and you should by now, this is the podcast where we seek out the very best TV for you and you watch it and then you can tell us what you think about it, actually, after you've done it. We'd love to hear from you. What is the email address, Rihanna? It is podcast at radiotimes.com. It is, and we would love to hear from you. Now, um, an interesting mix of shows this week. We've got some cracking comedy, uh, we've got some drama for you, and we have a show with a very, very big title. Well, the biggest of the lot, what is it? Universe. It is Professor Brian Cox's new show. That is Professor Brian Cox, not Succession Cox. (laughs) Here is Professor Brian Cox talking about his new uh, series, actually, on BBC Two. Here's just one of many truly mind-blowing facts that he reveals. You know, the size and scale of the universe, I think, are difficult to comprehend for anyone, professional scientist or astronomer. You can say the words, there are two trillion galaxies in the part of the universe we can see. Just think about that for a moment. And if you're going through a really awful breakup, think about that fact and put your poxy breakup into perspective. (laughs) But that brings us on to scenes from a marriage, which we're also going to talk about this week. What is this, Rihanna? Yeah, so this stars Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac, proper A-listers in this. And it's a sort of reimagining of Ingmar Bergman's series from 1973, which was in Swedish. I haven't seen the original, actually, I confess. Not even I have. Okay, fine, few. Um, So I was very, very excited to watch the two of these. I mean, they are phenomenal actors sparring on screen. Well, we'll let you know what we think about that a little bit later. Um, And something more, I suppose, more traditional, some British drama. It's the new Anne Cleves adaptation. It's on ITV and it's The Long Call, starring... 
starring Ben Aldridge, who you'll recognise from Fleabag. I won't say what his character's known for because please don't. I'll be cancelled. But uh, <laughs> Juliet Stevenson also plays his mother in this in quite a dark, sinister role. All right, so that's something else we'll talk about. And to round it all up, I thought this was brilliant. It's called The Outlaws. It is 100% one of, like, one of my favourite things that I've seen in a very long time. And it's created by Stephen Merchant, who also did Fighting With My Family. So he's got brilliant form when he's away from Ricky Gervais etc. Yeah well that's the view of Rihanna Dillon who has views on all sorts of things and you'll be exposed to them over the course of this Radio Times podcast. It's not radioactive. Well you are you're actually well, <laughs> possibly contagious I don't know but you're not grumpy this week from uh, from well certainly from the vibe I've had from you so far so that's good. Um, any big highlights because last week it was Jay-Z I mean it's hard to beat that really. It is quite hard I did meet one of uh, an actress that I have been obsessed with since I was little Kirsten Dunn on the red carpet um, who is in a new film called The Power of the Dog alongside Benedict Cumberbatch. We'll be talking about it, I think, in a a month or so on the podcast. She is just so lovely and beautiful and I got to stand very close to her. What is it like on those red carpets? Because you say she was lovely to you. Yes. It is her job to be lovely to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're not always. Are they not? (laughs) Even in those circumstances? Uh, Because I was hosting, so I was, they were actually, everything they were saying was being magnified and going all around Royal Festival Hall. And so they, they were obviously going to be lovely then. And also, they're in a good mood. It's the premiere of their film. They didn't think that they were going to be showing this in COVID times. Well, my banker anecdote of the week was that I was invited, you might say slightly late in the day, I wonder if someone dropped out, uh, to the <laughs> Women of the Year launch. I'm very jealous about this. I know, I know you are. And actually, it's a, there is a link here because the Lifetime Achievement Award went to Dame Esther Ranson. Oh, wow. And Dame Esther, who is a formidable woman, and as I think she would own own up to herself, and there's nothing wrong with that. It sounded almost judgmental, and I don't mean it. She's done stuff, mm-hmm. Esther Ranson, Childline, Silver line now for older people and she made just a really good speech uh, she is a brilliant public speaker and she's not uh, she's not a spring chicken anymore um, which I think is one of the reasons that she was inspired to set up Silverline um, which is the phone service for older people and it's it really what's it for sort of loneliness it's for or, loneliness yeah. yeah and you can you could basically get a weekly call with a volunteer and um, just a, a little bit of company which I think over the last year and a bit has probably been really yes. welcome also a brilliant speech from uh, Julie Etchingham, who is the, I think she's the president of the Women of the Year. Mm-hmm. She's a great TV newsreader on, on ITN, but a lot more to her. She's an amazing public speaker. Oh, brilliant. Does she do weddings? I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> I thought it was, I thought you just wanted, I mean, you've got, you have booked me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of so course, I can yeah. do also, I can do speeches, I can read lessons. And as I've already said, I can spin some discs at the disco. <laughs> I await developments anyway there. You can call my agent. I will give you her number after today's <laughs> podcast. Let's head then into the first meaty drama of the week. And this is serious stuff. It's scenes from a marriage available on Sky Atlantic or now right now. Uh, And here is a clip. It's Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. They're an affluent and successful middle-class couple, but things aren't going well. You just believe as a couple, nothing can hurt you. (laughs) And then you gradually start to realise that actually anything can hurt you. We're going to sit here and we're going to talk as long as it takes, okay? But there's nothing left to say. What is this? What is this thing where we can't talk? This is a place Do you know how long I've wanted to leave? Home. 
I'm gonna go out of my mind if I don't leave right now. Right now, like right yeah. this second. If I don't leave right now, I know I'm never going to. And in a way, that clip illustrates what I am uneasy about because I don't believe, actually, Rihanna, that anyone does say things like, if I don't leave now, I never will. Or, or, or maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's supposed to be a sort of gritty look at the intimate ins and outs, maybe, of real-life dialogue, which is also when you always walk away from a conversation wishing you'd said something and didn't. They do actually have the time and the space and the writers to say exactly, exactly. what they want. Um, I, I can definitely agree with you on that. Um, and it's essentially about a couple who are having very honest conversations about their relationships, where they are in their lives, and their friends also get involved. And it's also, I suppose, the awkwardness still of these conversations it's not they're not they don't seem very happy and natural and easy so it it definitely feels like you know you're watching the beginning of a breakdown of a marriage not just random scenes from a marriage no um and there is a strange bit isn't there at the beginning of every episode just yeah. describe that so we see jessica chastain uh, in all kind of being fussed over by all of the fluffed fluffed exactly by all of the crew as she gets into place to start playing her character so it's, it is literally a sort of behind the scenes look but a but a false one, right? Because mm. it that's being filmed within... It's a weird conceit and I don't really like it. I don't really know why they've got it in here. I wasn't sure whether I liked it or not. I actually thought they'd made a mistake when I saw it the first time. <laughs> oh, I must... I'll write in, I thought. I'll get my biro and, and I'll dress an envelope. Dear Sky Atlantic. Um, so I was a bit confused by it. Then I thought, as it because it happens in every episode, at mm. the beginning of every episode, it was a bit mannered yes. and slightly disappearing and up it its own... need to does it because i think no. this sort of well, series it doesn't need to have a gimmick i think it's just giving you an insight into how people speak to each other in very long-term relationships when they realize that they're falling out of love with each other is it a kind of nod to the whole shakespearean all the world's a stage mm. we're all playing a part yeah maybe some of us have only got bit parts sadly <laughs> um a voiceover in our case the occasional voiceover <laughs> yeah i was just reminiscing with rihanna about my film career which so far extends to one voiceover in the ab fab film <laughs> over 200 quid though i earn for that so not to be sniffed at you see where i thought this fell down and this is just my particular take on it it's it is beautifully done mm. it's all the interiors are exquisite they're two beautiful people falling out of love in a very articulate erudite sort middle of a class. way middle class <laughs> yes. way with gorgeous wallpaper and, and really nice sofas mm -hmm. it all felt not twee exactly but you just kind of wanted to bang their heads together and say you two have got so much to be pleased with yourselves about stop belly aching and there's a poor little girl as well who's yeah. exposed to their sort of suffering their daughter i also i just don't think people who are breaking up do speak to each other like that interesting well i wonder about maybe not the sort of external conversations but i think a lot of people might have that sort of running commentary in their heads and i think this also looks at privilege exactly what you're saying they what do they have to be upset and angry nothing. about nothing but of course they do because when we're, we're never happy we might have everything in the world and mm. we're still going to find something to get angry and upset about and feel dissatisfied with our lives that's just human nature and i think the they they kind of drill down into that and i thought maybe that was a point that they were doing because they are surrounded by everything lovely and she earns a lot of money and there's also the sort of slight um, thing that we don't see as often maybe on screen about the male being the primary caregiver yes, to yeah. the child and her being the 
primary what's it well, called breadwinner she is yes. oh she's a she's a thrusting career person yes and there are times i mean i felt i actually felt almost a traitor to my sex because there were times when she was banging on about her career in a way that you do more easily associate with men. Mm. Uh, so I'm not saying it's not good. Mm. Um, I mean, if you looked Marriage Story on Netflix, with which was another kind of A-lister duo with um, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, this will, I think, definitely appeal to the same audience. People who like people breaking up. Who, who maybe find it cathartic to see other people raging at each other for a change instead of maybe their own relationships. Well, let that be both a warning and an incentive <laughs> to any of you who would like to investigate. And it is beautifully done. It's all exquisite and gorgeous and great interiors. So that is on Sky Atlantic and on Now. It is scenes from a marriage. All very beautifully done, if you like, heartbreak. And away from heart... Well, actually, no, this is not away from heartbreak because the bad news is that one day... Well, we're sitting in this very small box in East London um, with a very strange desk light between us. And it's a little bit like a scene from an interrogation in the Sweeney back in the 70s. Um, I'm waiting for you to be the... Are you good cop or bad cop? I'm definitely bad cop, yeah, so watch so. out. But we're just mere flotsam and jetsam in this enormous universe. So this is, uh, it's a very, how, well, of course it's its a bold series because it is called Universe. And really difficult to Google. Yeah, it's don't in, try it. Don't even try Googling it because you will get nowhere. This is Professor Brian Cox and its it's an exploration of the cosmos. He can't answer the question, why are we here? Because he admits he doesn't know. It starts on BBC Two on Wednesday, the 27th of October at nine o'clock. And I, I really recommend it. This is um, five different programmes about different aspects of the universe. I'm afraid there's no other way of putting it. But the first episode, which you'll hear him discuss in a moment or two, is about the stars and about our own star, which is the sun. So let's take a listen to our conversation with Professor Brian Cox. Rihanna kicked off the conversation by asking about filming locations because he does tend to go to some pretty special places, does our Brian? Brian Cox, thank you so much for joining us, Professor Brian Cox. It's so lovely to have you in the studio with us. Um, we want to talk all about this new show, but you're, we've already started talking a little bit about the locations that you visited, and mm. I think that's a really great place to start. So tell us why you picked some of the locations, if they were, if it was all because of COVID that you had to go where you had to go. Well, it primarily was, actually. So we started filming in February 2019 and filmed on Madeira, which was a... Uh, that was planned. And of course, that was February and the, the lockdowns happened in March. So only one location was pre-COVID, which you'll see in the first episode, mm -hmm. actually, this beautiful mountain on top of a mountain with the sun and so on. And so then we had to adapt. There are five episodes. It's one of the landmark series. So in, usually we would say, where is the best place to go in the world to represent this idea or the, the feel that we're looking for? But we couldn't do that. So... Um, we ended up filming in, it's almost right to say it's anywhere that would let us in <laughs> at different phases of the pandemic. Yeah. So we filmed a lot in Iceland, uh, Dubai, the Azores mm -hmm. and the UK. And actually, um, we don't often film a lot in the UK. Th these are global productions with lots of different broadcasters mm -hmm. contributing and things. So we tend to go all over the world. But we filmed, so we filmed an entire episode about galaxies on on Sky, oh, um, and it was absolutely 
beautiful and change the sense of the film because you're always looking for a connection between the landscapes and the locations and the ideas. So this is, um, actually, can you just define for us what this series is setting out to do? Yeah, so it's Universe is the title. It's pretty it's broad. A, it's a cos- yeah. <laughs> it does not get any broader. It's a cosmology <laughs> series. The films, uh, stars, galaxies, black holes, and then the universe itself. And I always think cosmology is, it raises profound questions and emotions, I think. I mean, when you, you know, the size and scale of the universe, I think, are difficult to comprehend. Well, they are difficult to comprehend for anyone, professional scientist or astronomer. It does, you can say the words, right? there are two trillion galaxies in the part of the universe we can see. That comes up quite it, early in episode one, at which well, yeah. point my mind boggled and never stopped boggling. It's, and I think it's it's not possible to picture that. And I think, as I say in the introduction, it raises, we are physically insignificant. That's clear, right? I mean, even in the Milky Way galaxy, it takes 100,000 years or more for light to travel across our little island. We're just collections of atoms that can think. So how does that, you know, bits of, we're just bits of stuff that was made at the Big Bang, essentially, <laughs> processed a little bit in some stars, thrown out, <laughs> clumped together by gravity. And then suddenly we can write symphonies, which is, you know, <laughs> so on, on how many places yeah, did that happen? That was a potted version of your episode <laughs> one, wasn't it? I yeah, love that. Well, <laughs> I, I don't want to add a depressing note, but you do say in the first episode that the sun is dying and that... In billions of years from now, all the beautiful poetry you mentioned, John Donne, mm. every artistic achievement that's ever been, every scientific discovery that human beings have been able to make, all of it will be forgotten, done to dust, and darkness will return. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, that's our understanding of the way the universe is evolving. And it's always worth saying that nature does not care about our feelings. Mm. You know, we are part of nature. How do you sleep at night, Brian? <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? it that, that's why I think one of the, these series are supposed to make you think, ultimately. So they tell they tell you what we've discovered. But I always try to in there to nudge the viewer to think about the what these things mean because with a view to the viewer improving their own behavior because once you become aware of your total irrelevance in the universe in you i went scouts then which Hmm. to be fair i am um (laughs) when, when you become aware of your complete irrelevance in the universe shouldn't it have an impact on the way you conduct yourself yes i i think very strongly um wouldn't you behave worse well, well, it could go either way, couldn't it? It's interesting. I make the case, I won't give it all the way, but at the end of this this film and also at the end of the series, I make the case that understanding that we are both insignificant and fragile and also rare and valuable at the same time seems to me to be a, an important political message. Whatever the universe is, meaning exists in it because it means something to us, clearly. If there's nowhere else in this galaxy where that has happened, and I think that should be our working hypothesis, then if we eliminate ourselves through inaction or complacency or direct, you know, deliberate action with nuclear weapons or whatever it is, then we eliminate meaning in a galaxy. Well, in, with that, that out. bearing it in mind, have you ever campaigned against nuclear weapons and would you sit on the M25 with the Insulate Britain protesters? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? You can argue that nuclear weapons kept the peace. And some so people do argue, argue that, yeah. Um, well, 
I mean, they, they actually have, I suppose, in some sense. It's interesting, actually, to um, one of my great heroes, another of my heroes, I've got quite a lot of them, <laughs> is, is Robert Oppenheimer. Um, Oppenheimer is very famous for the, um, you know, running the scientific aspect of the Manhattan Project or the scientific side of it, so the atomic bomb. But afterwards, he he thought about these things, not surprisingly, very deeply. He wrestles with this idea, the, the double-edged sword that is the generation of knowledge, uh, and, and power and whether we have the wisdom to wield that knowledge because obviously he was right at the heart of it he, he was surprised that he was alive i think in 1953 after having delivered the atomic bomb that um and would he be surprised to hear that we're still alive in 2021 i think he would um yeah. he was extremely worried but over the last 18 months though those of us who aren't scientists have um been involved in uh, science i suppose mm. because we've been forced into in my case, probably quite a juvenile understanding of what we're all going through as a society. So, I mean, to be honest, I'm probably one of those people who couldn't honestly tell you the difference between a bacterial infection and a virus. Yeah, um, you can now, though. Well, well, yeah, I feel as though I do know a bit more about it now. But how do you go about addressing people who are completely anti-expert, vehemently anti-vaccine and... I just don't know how you reach people. Obviously, it's frustrating. Again, all my answers are it's a bit more complicated, aren't they? But what I think we recognise, and this goes all the way back to Carl Sagan, and ultimately he said that it, it's education ultimately that matters. An acquaintance with being wrong is what you learn as a scientist. That's why you should do science in schools. Like maths. But it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, who your parents are or how expensive the school, <laughs> whether it's Eton or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, there you are, you're not right. Imagine, that's why I think PPE at Oxford should be PPES. Should have science on the end of it. Politics, philosophy, economics, science. Uh, not because I want Boris Johnson or whoever it is to know how old the universe is, but because I want him to be acquainted with being wrong. Well, Margaret Thatcher had a chemistry degree, didn't she? Yeah. Um, but since then, I think all our prime ministers pretty much, I think Theresa May's degree was in geography, for some reason I know that. But was Margaret Thatcher the last prime minister with a science degree? Yeah, that I'm does... trying to think of the last... Science minister that had a science degree. <laughs> well, actually, that's, that's we really do have science ministers without science degrees. Well, we have, but we've had some good ones as well, actually. Can we talk? Uh, where I am in my comfort zone is the male ego, and um, I feel I'm okay to talk about that. Not necessarily. I'm not looking at you, Brian. I'm looking over there. Space is now littered with gigantic male egos: Elon Musk, Richard Branson, or Jeff Bezos. What what are we to make of this? I think. The, again, I'll go big picture first, which seems to be my habit, doesn't it? <laughs> I think the, the real answer is because it's it, it's a hugely lucrative area. If if you if you have cheap access, reliable cheap access to Earth orbit, and you are the company that provides it, then you are going to do very well. So you don't read anything into the fact that so far no female entrepreneur has bothered to get involved or hasn't been able to get involved. Um. It's a good question. I hadn't thought of it before. Um, well, I visited some of those companies, on, on the, particularly on the West Coast of America, where, where that innovation seems to be happening. And there is a sense in which it's almost like a gold rush type thing. You know, but they, they, they're right, actually. I think that the, the expansion 
of our civilization is, is naturally going to be outwards. Can we completely change tack and just ask you Look, about what... I, I love the answer. I didn't want to dodge your question. It's no. a really insightful question. Well, I just, why, just... Are no, why are no female entrepreneurs driving those industries? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I wonder if it is that there's... There is this element of... I think the male ego does play a part. Do you think? I, do, I, uh, yeah, I, I really do, yeah. Um, oh, I think there's a sound... But my point is that there's clearly a sound commercial argument. Oh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, your answer so is fascinating, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, just one more question. I mean, if you get the chance to go up onto one of those space tourist flights, I bet... Have you been asked already? No, no. I Why mean, not? Because, well, I think they've got a huge weight in the But you will, you're, I mean, the, you know, you probably will dollars. be asked, won't you? I'd love to. I'd love to see Earth from space. Not to put too fine a point on it, were Richard Branson to ask you, you'd <laughs> well, definitely say yes, wouldn't well, you? Yeah, but I think who wouldn't? Would you? Would you? I, I would probably not say yes. I've got, really? But then I'm not Brian Cox. Not my, <laughs> my, my why, would you, why though? Wouldn't you love to see the Earth from space? I'd love to see. Would you be too frightened about not coming back down I'm again? Keen on the cross channel ferry. Never mind seeing <laughs> Earth from space. Um, and I. Oh, it's I'd, just a glider. It's a nice thing that you'll glide back to Earth. And that was Professor Brian Cox urging me uh, to take up the so far non-existent offer from Richard Branson to go up and view Earth from space. And we should say we recorded that conversation before William Shatner of Star Trek fame went up to view the planet uh, from space. Speaking of male egos. Yes, with, well, with uh, Jeff Bezos. Although William Shatner, and then Prince William spoke out against space tourism, which was interesting. But so Brian Cox couldn't have been asked to comment because it hadn't happened when we talked to him. I don't know. Did you enjoy that episode of we've only so far been exposed to the first episode of universe the thing is with brian cox he has a very sort of calming nature when he's talking about things that are so overwhelming and terrifying and actually he does kind of ground you with all of his facts which i think if you try and take them all on board your brain will explode because they're not necessarily the size of brian cox well mine isn't i don't speak for anybody else um so (laughs) i will say that with armed only with my o level in biology uh, grade C. <laughs> I have done a, a long, well, it's a longer form interview with Professor Brian Cox in the Radio Times this week. Brian Cox in an astronaut's outfit is on the cover of this week's Radio Times. I wish he was wearing that when we spoke to him. It, yeah, I think you're right. These are very, very big conversations, yes. aren't they? And I'm grateful to him for trying to make it comprehensible to the average Joanna in my case. Yes. He talks about dark matter and the lack of knowledge about that and about how iron is at the heart of all collapsed stars. So you do get these little nuggets of fascinating insights. The fact that we sent up this probe to the sun. If we don't have David Attenborough, we've got Brian Cox. You know, it's very much, I think, in that sort of realm. Yes, it is. There are other other films in the series about alien life forms mm-hmm. and alien worlds and um, all kinds of stuff that I think people will be utterly beguiled by. Yeah. So you've got high time to prepare your fevered brain for Universe. It starts on Wednesday, the 27th of October at nine o'clock on BBC Two. And right back down to earth we go then with something that is starting on Monday the 25th of October at nine o'clock on BBC One. I don't think anyone will dislike this. 
We both really liked it. Spoiler alert. It's The Outlaws. Stephen Merchant is the co-creator and the writer of this new six-part comedy thriller. It's about seven strangers, all from different backgrounds, who are forced together to do community service, community payback, they call it, in Bristol. And it's actually really good to have something set in a place that is Bristol and isn't anywhere else. Where does the thriller bit come in? Well, um, when they're trying to do their community service, they discover a big bag of cash. And you just know that isn't going to end well. Kellyanne Taylor of the Radio Times spoke to Stephen and asked him where the idea for the outlaws came from. Well, my mother uh, and father used to both work for community service in Bristol when I was growing up. And my mother would she would literally be supervising the offenders, you know, as they had to repaint a shed or whatever it was, do up a, um, you know, like a, a, a kid's player in a park or something. And she would occasionally talk about the people that, that she uh, had come through the, the ranks. I remember she told me about uh, an old guy that she would see kind of month to month. He would always be back and he was always kind of stealing cabbages from allotments or odd little crimes like that. And she realised over time that he just liked the social aspect. He was like in his 70s and he didn't care, he didn't have much else going on and that he was sort of stealing things to kind of get a bit of community service so that he could kind of socialise with people. I mean, I would have thought bingo would be easier. But a couple of people that I went to school with came through the ranks. And they sort of come in and say um, to my mum, um, oh, how's Steve doing? She'd be like, oh, he's at university now. Anyway, I know she's been stealing bikes. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting backdrop to, to a show because... You're always looking for ways to bring people together that wouldn't otherwise encounter one another. Any brushes with the law yourself? Well, I mean, I once was drunk while a student at Warwick University, and we were in Coventry City Centre one night, and I did climb on the back of the Lady Godiva statue and uh, got cautioned by a policeman. He told me to um, to climb down from there, which I did immediately. And that's pretty much my running with the law. It's not as it's not as exciting as running with gangs. Like the guy that I created the show with, Elgin, was in gangs growing up and um, ultimately went to jail, did a year in jail. But, you know, I've been lucky. I've, I've never um, had any real run-ins with the law. No one is um, avoid, able to avoid self-mockery uh, less so than you. You you really do take right. the mick out of yourself quite a lot. Yes. I wonder, do you think you typecast yourself? I toyed with playing the other characters, and I was like, well, I don't know. It just, it's like I'm here. I, you know, if we're going to have that character, I may as well do it. What am I going to have someone else do that character, and then I'm just going to be there the whole time going, well, why are you doing it like that? This is how you do an awkward nerd. So I did slightly typecast myself, which which was foolish, because I didn't, like, well, I could have written any character for myself. I don't know why I did that. Um... But, you know, I've, I've done other things and I'm trying to do other, you know, other stuff. But I think I quite enjoy, I just I enjoy doing that shtick as well. I do, it's fun. You think about kind of George Clooney, who's like invariably playing like quite a suave, cool guy. And you're like, this guy typecast again. You're like, we'd all like to be George Clooney. But if you're playing a kind of awkward nerd that no one aspires to be, you're just like, this guy typecast. <laughs> it's like Daniel Craig, you know, he's like played James Bond five times, he'll typecast. He's like, no, of course he's James Bond. Why wouldn't you want to be James Bond five times? Christopher Walken plays Frank. So how did he come to be involved? Well, we uh, Wills wanted a, a, a kind of big American star for that role because I like the idea that he's sort of on the surface seems like this kind of exotic alien that's landed in Bristol and then you realise he's really just a sort of petty criminal, really, and that there's a sort of exoticism to him initially. And so uh, Walken was top of the list and somehow got the script to him. You know, he doesn't have uh, a mobile phone or a computer. Um, I th- I'm not joking. I think we faxed it to him. 
Um, we had to pull a fax from an old BBC cupboard and dust it off. But I got this message that he that he wanted to meet me, so I went to Connecticut where he lives and and sat with him. And someone had said beforehand that uh, Chris is very very comfortable with silence, meaning that he was in his seventies and he just got nothing to prove, and he's very med- very meditative guy, very thoughtful guy, and just like you know, ask a question and then just likes to think about the answer you've given him. And so you know, I would, he'd say like, "What's Bristol like?" and I'd tell him, and then he can. And he'd just go quiet. I mean, for like 10 minutes. And because I knew that he was comfortable with that, I just went quiet as well. I just sit there, look out the window until he had another question. And we were there for about four hours because obviously, as you can imagine, it, I think we'd got through page one at that point. And um, at one point he made me an omelette, um, you know, because I was getting weak from hunger. I'd been there so long. And um, and uh, we hit it off and we, and we sort of got on well. And, and he came to Bristol, put on a, red tabard so you know it must have worked out but um yeah it was great kellyanne taylor of the radio times talking to stephen merchant about stephen's meeting with christopher walken um he's, he's very funny isn't he he is very funny i mean <laughs> I, it just made me think because stephen is so tall he must get so hungry <laughs> i mean i've always i've always obviously i'm not tall obviously i i happen not to be tall and i've always been really jealous of tall people because they just must be able to eat all the time i love that that was your takeaway from that interview <laughs> um i mean i'm just puzzling over quite how the bbc has afforded this hollywood star for a comedy thriller on bbc one at nine o'clock at night anyway. it's a great pull it's a really good coup actually i'm really impressed how they've managed to balance actually the whole array of actors. They have a lot of cameos in this as well, don't they? Richard E. Grant and yeah. Julia David, you know, the kind of, what what would you call them? The bread and butter of British comedy? Um, I think bread and butter might be a little bit harsh. I think they probably, what's that thing you only get at Christmas? Um, a Terry's chocolate orange. No, the big uh, Italian cake. Panettone, panettone. More of a panettone. I don't right. like panettone. But yes, I think that fits the bill more than okay. the bread and butter. Um, this, Why is this funny? And why is it good? Because I think we both agree it is both funny oh, and God, good. It's excellent. It really is. It, I think because it's so sprawling. I think initially you think, oh, all of these characters are maybe a bit stereotyped. You have an Indi- a young Indian woman who, by the way, is she's dual heritage, uh, Indian and Polish. Um, Rani, she's being pressured to go to Oxbridge by her very overachieving parents and she kind of shoplifts to let off steam and the fact that she has these overbearing parents is quite a stereotype and she is kind of quite entranced by this young black guy who is involved with drug dealers on his estate and is trying to escape He's trying their clutches to escape from them. yeah um, but the fact that he is black and involved with drugs you can also argue as another stereotype but this is definitely trying to do something different with all of that and they even go so far as to talk about putting them all in boxes a little bit and then um, delving a bit more into their lives and what unites them and I think what unites them all actually is loneliness and isolation from you know their families or their personalities or whatever Stephen Merchant talking about being a, a very lonely lawyer he plays that really, really well. There is another character too, Gabby. Now, yes. Gabby is a, a, an influencer, but she's doing she's doing community service too. Yes, she's a rich influencer with uh, anger management issues, but yeah. actually has a heart and bank account of gold. She's incredibly rich. She's Lady Gabby, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and again, could be a really stupid, silly stereotype, which it kind of starts off like. And then as we get to know her better, she develops this really lovely relationship with Stephen Merchant. Um, and I think they all they dig down into what we think of as this 
real obnoxious right-wing angry man um, who is played brilliantly by Darren Boyd who also plays quite a nasty character in Killing Eve he's excellent he's so so funny and really goes for it I think in this role and you find yourself by the end of it actually sympathising a little bit with that was him. the bit I, well you start to care about all of them yes. quite early on yeah. um, and I always think that's the mark of a, a show that's hitting the spot absolutely when you're interested in their fate yes um, that's ultimately is all that matters yeah, and it's a multicultural relationship at the heart of it. Again, we don't see that on our screens very often, no, no. Um, which I really, really enjoyed. I think you'll really enjoy anticipating the next episode. Um, the thriller elements come in, they're balanced really, really well with the comedy. Stephen Merchant does that very, very well. Yeah, the woman in charge of the community oh, scheme, uh, which we should say is... Sort Jessica of, Gunning. Yes, yeah, she's Jessica Gunning. She is very, very funny. And, is. and the scheme is essentially they're refurbing a community centre yeah. or picking up... I mean, it's it's it's. Very very, you you will. I, I defy anyone not to not to like the outlaws, and I, I really hope people get into it. It starts on BBC One Monday, the twenty fifth of October, at nine o'clock. Um, and we do have a little clip, actually, don't we? So, what's your first impressions of our little gang? Everyone's a type. A type. Um, you've got your right wing blowhard, left wing militant, celebutante. Shifty old-timer. And whatever the hell he is. Okay. What type am I? The bad boy. <laughs> Why? What, is it because I got all these tats? You know, tattoos aren't that rebellious anymore. You know who has tattoos? Dame Judi Dench. Well, then Dame Judi Dench is a straight-up OG like me. <laughs> I mean, she is. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> If you liked Misfits as well, I think this feels like quite a natural extension from that brilliant E4 drama. It's The Outlaws and you are, I'm telling you now, you will enjoy it. <laughs> so make sure you watch it. OK, and the final show we're going to talk about this week is, it's interesting actually because it's being stripped, I think that's the official terminology, uh, across four nights on ITV beginning on Monday the 25th of October, right through until the Thursday so you can get home and have your tea and then just park yourself and just get really absorbed in another adaptation of an Anne Cleves novel. Anne Cleves is the creator of Shetland and Vera, of course, and this is her new series. It's about a detective called Matthew Venn and it's set in Devon this time. She does go for scenic settings, does Anne? It's called uh, The Long Call and it's about, well, it's a like everything, um, and I'm not dismissing it because I watch it myself and re indeed read her books, it's a murder mystery. Yes, it is, indeed. What do you think, I mean, do you think there's something odd about our obsession with murder? I was having this conversation with my parents the other day because my dad will only now watch murder and crime police procedurals and I wonder if it is just a sort of escapism, a sort of catharsis in a way of us living quite, you know, unglamorous lives, all kind of been locked up inside. And this is just some sort of... we we. There's like a different kind of fear to the one that we've been feeling in the last mm. couple of years, you know? So I do wonder if we are tapping into that a little bit more, more now than ever. It feels like every single night there is something that is about murder and death. Or and missing children. Yes. It is odd, isn't it? I think I'm sure there are plenty of people doing 
PhDs and exactly this, or yes. perhaps people who could already call in. Could do yeah, do email the podcast. Let us know why we want this stuff in our lives. I should say that Anne Cleve's books, which I, I absolutely love, and I love her other stuff, Vera Shetland, um, and I like Anne. I've had the good fortune to interview her a number of times, and she's a thoroughly decent woman, a campaigner for libraries. She's worked in prisons. She's done lots of interesting stuff in her time, and she also is very careful to make as many of her victims male as female. Mm. In fact, I think she skews more male victims than female. And of course, when I say of course, statistically men are more likely to be murdered than women by some margin. But television doesn't tend to focus on that. I think that's really interesting. It is a male murder and this is how the series begins. And it's on a beach in Ilfracombe. So it's a gorgeous setting. I suppose we're kind of going back, we're sort of delving into the past of this policeman, aren't we? Because he's come back home from having escaped the Plymouth Brethren. There is a murder at the heart of it, but the central character, Matthew Venn, is a detective who has left the evangelical Christian sect, the Plymouth Brethren. And that's quite an important part of the whole story that unfolds in The Long Call. And here's a quick clip from the first episode where um, he's in conversation, Matthew Venn, played by Ben Aldridge, with the Plymouth Brethren minister, played by Martin Shaw. Now, get a load of Martin's Devonian accent here. When I stood up in the meeting and told you that I didn't believe, that I thought it was all... Utter madness is the term I recall. Ah, you were young, confused. It's not a sin to doubt sometimes. No, I just wish that you'd given us a chance to help you refine the light. My mother said that there was a church meeting that that you voted on it, that I had to leave. We had to leave the church, of course. Nobody ever said you had to leave your family. Excuse me, um, I'm sorry. I love the accents. I love that in this episode of the podcast, we've got Bristolian accents and also Devonian it's accents. Southwest special. It is. And it is so refreshing not to have just London or Southeast. So, yeah, it's, that was really, really lovely. And we didn't hear Juliet Stevenson in the clip, but she she does play a very sort of intimidating woman. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with Juliet Stevenson because she is such a magnificent actress. And I hope she's not just going to be sidelined as his mother. His mother. Yes, it's actually a little depressing to see her cast as somebody's mother. I think you'll find she goes on a little bit of a journey uh, during the course of the serial. Can't wait. Um, and yes, we should say that um, the character played by Ben Aldridge is is gay. I think yes, that's one of the reasons married. he left it all behind. Yes, he's married to a man and, you know, that that's a really kind of... They're very solid, I think, in their relationship. And I think there has to be a lot of trust in that relationship with the husband coming back to the place that Matthew sort of fled um, as a youngster. So, you know, I'm, again, they set up a lot of these different relationships around Matthew, a sort of Venn diagram for Matthew oh, Venn. Good. <laughs> I expected to like this and I did because I'm a big fan of Anne Cleves. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yes, I really liked how they just explored all these characters that we don't necessarily always see. So there is a woman with Down syndrome who is set up as a possible baddie, definitely a suspect, which I really like. We don't often see that on screen. Um, Also, Neil Morrissey pops up in this. I think he has a bit of quite weird, unbelievable dialogue with Jen, where they have quite a deep and meaningful 
meaningful conversation. Whilst and... having a coffee by the by it, the harbour. Yes. I mean, this is 100% trying to, as so many of these series are, tap into the broad church lovers. And it, it's very, very, there's definitely a crossover, I think, with themes, if you like that then you're going to love this. Uh, So that's The Long Call. starts ITV and then you can get it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of the week beginning the 25th of October at nine o'clock. Now it's time for the quiz of the week. Yes, what we watched, the segment of the show that takes us down TV, nostalgia, memory lane. Yeah, okay. Well, what have you got for me this week? Well, here is a clip from The Osbournes, which is a US reality TV show. You'll remember it, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, I do. And his family first appearing on MTV, giving the channel a record audience of half a mil. So here is the least sweary clip that we could find featuring Jack Osbourne on the phone to his mum, Sharon, with some comments as usual, from his sister, Kelly. Mum? You know, I'd really, really appreciate it if you would just start telling me when you gave my dog away. You know, this is really getting outrageous. Two times now you've done this, Mum, and I've really had enough of this. How would you like it if I were to give them anywhere without telling? Because I can, you know, I know a lot of people might like those dogs. It's not on. I don't give a sh- I Don't want my talk dog to her back. like that. I gave my dog away. Those transatlantic accents are just something else, aren't they? Yeah. Um... I'm not especially nostalgic for the Osbournes, <laughs> I, I, I must admit. They've, they've quietened down a bit lately, haven't they? Thank goodness. Yeah, OK. What else have you got for me? This is actually one of my favourites. This is Tipping the Velvet, the story of Nan Astley, who falls in love with three different women on her journey to stardom and happiness in late 1800s Victorian England, remember? Right. Starring Rachel Sterling and Keely Hawes and Benedict Cumberbatch, actually, my mate. <laughs> Here's a bit of Tipping the Velvet. I do wish you'd tell me what it is you like so much. I'm very vain, you see. I like everything. Your costumes and your songs and the way you sing them and the way you move and the way you smile and your voice. You seem so very gay and bold. And I think your hair is beautiful. Truly. Gully says it's like guinea pig's fur. Well, he's wrong. Well, I'll tell him you said so. This also stars Duckface from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Anna Chancellor. Yes, who's brilliant. Are you getting any ideas? I've got a feeling it's the early 21st century. Do you want one more more clip? One more thing. This is absolutely brilliant. I really hope that you're a secret fan of Footballers' Wives. which is a drama based around a fictional Premier League football club, Earls Park FC. It's players and their wives, and it was broadcast for four years on ITV, a forerunner to Ted Lasso. Are you bloody deaf, woman? Who's carrying your keys out of the question? And I day by the pool, did you? You bloody nappies. What did you say? You heard me. Oi! You said I should be wearing something. What did you say? I said nappies. Nappies. Joke. I mean, that clip wasn't exactly scenes from a marriage, was it? Um, <laughs> let's face it. Rio Ferdinand became the most expensive player in English football when he completed his £29.1 million transfer oh, okay. from Leeds United to Man United. All right, no, I, but the mists of confusion are clearing. And uh, across uh, my own personal cosmos. Princess Margaret, the Queen's younger sister, died this year after suffering a stroke, aged 71. And then five weeks later, the Queen Mother died, 101. Okay, that helps as well. Yeah. 2001. Oh, you're a year off. It's 2002. So close. I got it right last week, though, didn't I? You did, and the week before. Some relatively wonderful memories from the golden year of 2002. 
Thank you very much. You're welcome. I think you established last week that you're a massive Succession super fan. Yes. And you've got an exciting interview coming up. I can't wait for this. I'm going to be speaking to Sarah Snook for next week's podcast, Shiv herself, wow. who I think is the brains of the operation. I'm so excited. Oh, you do genuinely look excited. Yeah. She is, to my mind, a somewhat sinister figure, but you're making a case for her, are you? I really am. So Shiv is on the Radio Times podcast next week. Hope you can join us then. And if you want a breakdown of the listings of the shows we've discussed today, then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. Do follow and join us every single week. And the Radio Times podcast is produced by something else for immediate media. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.